Cut that out, Hyde. Put that back in your pants. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. That was a good countdown. Not too fast, well, not you. too slow. Just right. Oh, just yeah. like the porridge at uh, the you know the Three Bears Cottage. It was just right. I know. How about that? Very comfy yeah. bed, very comfy chair. Can't mm-hmm. beat it. Can't beat it, man. No, you can't. So, welcome again, everybody. Oh, thank to, you. Well, you're welcome to the eagerly anticipated episode 131 of Pie Factory Podcast. Yeah. After our, it's good to be back from our hiatus. Some of it planned, some of it not planned. Uh, if you didn't uh, get enough of us, we did guest on uh, Ten Pence, uh, Ten Pence Arcades. You might want to check out that podcast. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, have you been checking out the Twitter feed for Ten Pence about the game we suggested? They, they're really liking it. They're really liking that game. I'm going to have to revisit the game again because I remember I gave it a middling review because I thought it was too repetitive. But uh, I'm going to have to revisit it, revi- revisit, revisit, but uh, play that one again. So uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what game it is, but I think if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you probably already know what game it is. Yeah. And it, well, if you listened to Ten Pence at all, then. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But uh, give them a listen. They yeah. are, they're our brothers from across the pond, although one of the brothers wasn't there. Uh, I hope he's going to be back for the next episode. I think he is. I think he is. Think so? Yeah. Come back, Victor. Come back. So Brothers from another continent. Yes. They're talking about coming to Chicago again this year. Yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd be awesome. I'd like to meet them. They're nice guys. They're real, they're, you know what? We joke around with... I know I've said this yeah, before, yeah. but we joke around with them. We poke fun at them. But uh, honestly, they're really, really nice guys. They're great to hang out with. And um, they're a lot of fun to be around. So. No, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. And I mentioned this right after we uh, hung out with them, too. And... When I got in the car to come back home, I swear right away I said, man, I miss those guys. Yeah, no kidding. Carson was kind of like that with Tim and Andy, too, from uh, Super Podcast Brothers. I yeah. wish that show would come back, but I don't think it is, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I'm still a, in touch Every time with you're, you give up on them, though, suddenly there's a new episode. Yeah. Uh, I still keep in touch with uh, with Tim. Andy's yeah. a bit more uh, Busy. enigmatic, but... Uh, I got to see him last year in uh, when I, my wife and I took a weekend to Minneapolis. Got to see a few of our podcast friends out there, so yeah. that was kind of fun. But again, as I said earlier, this has been a we haven't recorded in a while for good reason and for unexpected reasons. So yeah. I guess the unexpected reasons were good reasons. Like one of the reasons was my computer decided to take a dump, so oh. I had to get a different fan for it, and uh, I got that installed. But uh, being summer and having children, it's kind of you know, hard to schedule things sometimes in the summer. But uh, I got that taken care of. And uh, there was something else big that happened this year to me. And uh, shall I tell? Or should does everybody pretty much already know? What, you got crabs? Uh, well, I did get seafood. Really? Where did you get the seafood? Because I don't know you to eat seafood. Well, I'll tell you. Huh. I got it in Iceland. Iceland? Yes, wife and I for our 25th anniversary. What, you went, went to, to Iceland? Iceland? Yes, we went to Iceland. No. Yes. Huh. Mm-hmm. And you've already, people who follow our Facebook page have already seen the uh, picture that was on our uh, on our page of the Atari 7800 at the National Museum of Iceland. That's insane. Totally, that was totally unexpected. But that was kind of neat to see. Um, yes, I did have some seafood. It was at a place called Fish and Chips Vagnen, Icelandic for wagon. The, the fish could have used a little salt and pepper. But uh, other than that, it was uh, it was actually really good. I ate it all, and I don't like seafood. Maybe that was freshwater fish. Maybe that's why you liked it. Mm, I don't know. I think this is re- actual real seafood. Oh, okay. I think it's because the seafood was actually fresh. Ah. Because you're there. It's right. It was in the old uh, old harbor section of uh, Reykjavik. Which, by the way, if you ever get a chance to get out of the United States or whatever country you're in, you will fall in love with Reykjavik. It's Honestly, I think it's my favorite city in the world. Uh, of course, you know, I go to Chicago more frequently, so maybe it's just uh, rose-colored glasses, but I really enjoyed my time in the city and enjoyed my time throughout the country, really. So you liked it um, even better than Beecher? Yes. Wow. I liked it even more than Essex. Oh, come on I now. Liked, I liked it more than Verona. Oh, it can't be that great. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. 
I also liked it better than Why Arizona. You ha- oh come on now, this is getting ridiculous. Yes, yes, no, I, I swear, I swear. Well, I know, but it's, it's still getting ridiculous. Well, ridiculous, ridiculous. It is, uh, it is, I edit it, that to okay. But yeah, seriously, Reykjavik is an amazing city, and uh, I brought Sean back a little souvenir. I saw that design. I went to the Hard Rock Cafe. You never go there to eat. You just go there to buy the T-shirts, you know. I have eaten at a Hard Rock a few times, but oh, yeah. I don't do it often. But you mostly go to get the T-shirts. And I saw this design of a T-shirt they had online that had uh, their the tallest building in Iceland, uh, which is called Halgrimskirka, which is a church that's five stories tall, and they have an, a platform at the top. And the, the design of the church is uh, it's like uh, the basalt columns that you see like at Devil's Tower, Wyoming, and stuff like that. But it's like framed with guitars. Huh. And I saw that and I'm like, I had to have this. And, w- and at, as soon as I had that thought, I'm like, you know what? I think Sean had actually liked that design. <laughs> well, it's a good design. And I can tell you exactly how I know. How's that? My wife liked it. Really? She saw it. She's like, oh, that is a cool shirt. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, had a blast at one point, And I'm serious about this. We were seeing so many waterfalls that we were like driving down uh Highway 1, which is the main ring road around the island, which, by the way, wasn't fully paved until uh, 1995. There were still gravel portions. But uh, it got so we saw so many waterfalls that my wife would be like, hey, there's a waterfall. I'd glance over, go, yep, and keep driving. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped for like the really spectacular ones and some of the less crowded ones. But uh, it was it was really, really amazing. And I'm impressed by the waterfall behind McCormick Place. And that's artificial. Yes. There are a lot of artificial waterfalls in Chicago. The one at Forest Glen out by Argon Labs. Then you can get some out by Starved Rock, but those are dependent on the rain. Whereas the ones in Iceland are year-round because of the glaciers. 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 And uh, saw saw some icebergs and saw sea lions playing. That was fun. Gas is really expensive there. Works out to about 10 a gallon. So don't complain when you're paying $5. I actually filled up for less than $5 a gallon in the city of Chicago recently. Really? That was it's weird. actually less than $5 in, out here now. Yeah. But, um, I think it's expensive play- everywhere, that, like especially expensive everywhere that's not the United States, quite frankly. One hint, uh, if you do go to Iceland, there is a Costco just outside Reykjavik. And uh, they have gas, and it's the cheapest we saw at uh, 229 Icelandic kroner a liter. Wow. 1,000 kroner works out to about seven and a half bucks. Maybe a little higher, maybe 775. So I really want to go back, but the problem is that there's a lot of places in this world I haven't been that I want to see. I want to see, what is it, Uluru in the middle of uh, Australia? Uluru, that's it, Uluru. I want to see Sydney. I want to see Munich. I want to see Paris. Oh, God. (laughs) At this one Airbnb we stayed at, we met a lot of really great people from around the world. Everybody in Iceland is friendly, even the people from that aren't natives. Our host at this Airbnb were from uh, immigrated from Scotland uh, like 10 years ago. And uh, they were there when uh, that unpronounceable uh, volcano erupted back in 2010. And they said it was really weird seeing like this plume of of ash with all of the lightning and electrical storms coming from it. But... uh, at any rate, what I'm going with this is we st- we talked to people from like Argentina and Germany and Russia and France, uh, not necessarily living there currently, but, you know, from there. And then we talked to this couple from France. We said hi to them and they said hi to us. And the first thing they said before we could say anything was, um, I know of the I know the stereotype that French people are rude, but that's just people in Paris. The people in France <laughs> who live in the countryside are, are friendly. And I'm like, I'll take your word for it. So that was awesome. I had a coworker who lived in Paris for a short time, and uh-huh. he said that he found the people there to be very friendly, actually, but he yeah. thinks it's because he made an attempt to speak French. Uh-huh. I guess people over there are so hung up about the possibility of losing their language. Right. I have heard this. That yes. if, if you make the slightest effort, they will be very appreciative of it. I have heard this. And uh, my, oh, my yeah. wife wants us to go there someday just so she can watch me use the three years of high school French that I took. <laughs> and uh, be, she, she wants to see me be all snooty about it. My wife took French in uh, college. So, and I think she can still speak some of it. Oh yeah. Uh, after the, uh, the French people said that, I'm like, you guys have got Paris, we've got New York, so I guess it's a oh, yeah. wash. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, uh, going back to the food, uh, 
Iceland is actually known for their hot dogs. I have heard this. Yes, they're lamb-based, and um, the lamb-based hot dog, I actually had some imported from Iceland. So, so they lamb-based their hot dogs? Yes, they are they're, that, they're that bad? They have to be lamb-basted? Yes. Huh. And um, here's how they prepare them. Now, don't get offended at the first step. First thing you put on the bun is ketchup, and then raw onion. Oh, and then, and then fried onion. Oh. I forgot about. I forgot that you'd be offended with the onion. Oh god! And then you put the hot dog, and then you put Icelandic mustard, which is kind of a sweeter, almost a honey mustard, and then you put uh, remoulade sauce on it, and Re- they oh. are so good. I have never had anything that has remoulade sauce on it that wasn't amazing. These are really good. Well, next time you come over, I will make you one uh, sans the onions. Yeah, and the thing about the the ketchup on the hot dogs, I think that rule is mainly for beef hot dogs. So lamb has a little bit of a different finge to it. So I can see maybe the hot ketchup wouldn't kill the flavor of the hot dog. Oh, these were nice hot dogs, too, because they had a they're like like deli style hot dogs because they had like a crunch to the casing. Ooh, and that was really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I found back to the United States, uh, there is a. uh, liquor store in Plano, Illinois, the town I work in, that actually stocks Einstock uh, beer, which is Icelandic. Brewed in the town of Akuary, which is in the north. It's uh, The town is about 15,000 people. Largest city in Iceland is Reykjavik. The, whole, the entire, with like 125,000 people, the entire island is a population of 300,000, and two-thirds of them live within an hour of Reykjavik that tells you anything most of the towns are like 200 to 300 people so anyway uh so i got this einstock white ale i'm holding it in my icelandic white ale and i'm opening it up right now Ooh. ah and i've actually had some of this before and it's really good is there anything mm. that most americans would be familiar with that that could be the most analogous to or is it that unique to iceland that it really tastes compare. kind of like a lager, like a straight up lager, uh, except a little more mild. It's not quite hoppy. Hmm. I like but not it's hoppy. Pretty good. And um, on the last day, we stopped at a grocery store called Bonus. We hit that place up a couple of times. It's analogous to all these in the United States. And I bought a uh, bottle of hot dog mustard to bring home. And I stupidly put it in my carry on. They confiscated it at customs. And the thing that pissed me off the most is this is a bottle of hot dog mustard. 20 feet away from customs was the duty-free shop where I could buy huge bottles of vodka, uh, stuff that you could actually use to make a bomb on the airplane yeah. and bring it into your carry-on. That makes no sense. So There might be some kind of import law because of the ingredients or something. It's kind of like why and, you cannot find Marmite in the United States. It is no, not allowed I, here. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's it. I think it's... It could be because of the size of the container. Uh, if it was in my checked baggage, it would have been that would have been one thing. But yes, we flew out Iceland Air. They had uh, pay uh, internet on there. I didn't get it on the way out, but on the way in. On the way out, it was like cloudy the whole way. And it was really bizarre because the uh, the flight followed like the dawn line, hmm. you know, where one side is day and the other side is night. Yeah. Almost the entire way. And that was kind of bizarre seeing night out one side of the airplane and the sunlight in the other side. That was weird. One of the biggest things I wanted to do while flying out was to catch a glimpse of Greenland. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to happen. And then when we were over Greenland, there was a tiny hole in the clouds open. You could see the mountains of Greenland. And like, I got to get a picture now. Oh, wow. I'll probably never see Greenland again in my life. And um, that was fun. But uh, oh, yeah. And I checked. There's no real video game scene in Iceland. Wow. I did see a painting of uh, Super Mario Brothers on a, a fence, which I didn't get a picture of that, but that's about it uh, that I was able to ascertain. That's the big word for, the, for today. It's a big word every episode. That's, yeah, that's a very common big word in this uh, podcast. But uh, in short, if you ever get a chance to go to Iceland, go. Airfare is inexpensive. Hotels are expensive, but you can get decent Airbnbs for about 65 bucks a night. That's Oh, wow. That's pretty good. And food can be expensive, but you can get cheap eats just about anywhere. Food trucks are a must because that's where you get the good food. Of course, I take it you brought the proper uh, electric plug-in converters. 
only needed one for my uh, for my uh, cell phone. Huh. And really, that one, it had the uh, the 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 the, uh, the prongs, oh. the prongs for the Icelandic uh, outlets. But it actually wasn't an, uh, a converter. But it had USB plugs on it, and volt, USB voltage is uh, universal. Oh yeah. So I was able to use it. So it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a loss. Oh yeah, one other thing. We did also visit the Icelandic Phallological Museum. So. Oh yeah, do tell. They had, <laughs> they had a T-shirt. I almost bought it, but I didn't. And it said it had the logo of the Icelandic Phallological Museum, and then underneath it said, "I didn't know Dick till I came to Reykjavik." <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I did some traveling myself. Oh. I went to Milwaukee. Now, perchance, why would that be? Midwest Gaming Classic. And, of course, people who listen to this podcast regularly, they already know about that because I put that as a uh, little quickie interim thing. But I don't remember if I mentioned this, but uh, I talked to uh, Brian Colin, whom we <laughs> refer to as King Henry the King Eighth. Henry VIII. Because apparently we were dropping his name too much. Wait, was it King Henry VIII or King Richard III? I can't no, Richard who III, who. I think, is Jeff Lee. Okay. And uh, I was talking to his wife, and I told her that we refer to him as King Henry VIII. And she said, <laughs> I'm his first wife. What is that saying about my future? <laughs> hey, she was fun to talk to. I really, I really enjoyed talking to her. I think uh, Ray, I believe, is her name. Going back a little bit to uh, when we were on um, Ten Pence Arcade Podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This sounds he, exciting. Uh, Sean Holly mentioned uh, a podcast called the Ted Dabney oh, yeah. Experience. I have yet to listen to that. But I, I have the episodes to about downloaded. 10, maybe 12 episodes. And holy crap, do they go deep. And the interviews with uh, Bryant Colin and Jeff Lee are astounding. Uh, there's some actual other really, really good ones uh, that uh, people have never heard of. And... Um, yeah, give that one a listen to when you're done here. That's a really good episode. They had an inter- also had an interview with Tim Lapertino about his Art of Atari book. Even though it's an arcade podcast, they still talked to him about it. So, well, yeah, he also did a Pac-Man book too. I think I think he's a big yes, Pac-Man. Yes, that's nerd. why they had him on yeah. because of the Pac-Man book. Yes. Yeah, I downloaded the Ted Dabney Experience podcast episodes. The problem is, I learned about another podcast. I- I'm trying not to listen to too many podcasts because there are just too many. <laughs> Yeah, there's one that, that I found out about and I started listening and it is freak. It is the biggest hoot. It's called oh. The Real Brady Bros. No. And it's hosted by Christopher Knight and Barry Williams. <laughs> and they just talk about Brady Bunch episodes and I like half no. the episode. They're like, wait a minute. In what world does this make sense? No, Mike Lookenland? No, no. If if he Bobby is, he'll be a there. guest. Oh, it's a shame it's that just, Bobby wasn't it's there. It's just the two of them. I remember that time you and I went to see the Brady Bunch movie in the theater. Oh, I forgot was, we did that. Yeah. That movie was hilarious. I, that's one of the few movies I've actually seen in the theater three times. Oh, man. Speaking of things that you and I have done together, two days from now is the 30th anniversary of when I met you and our friend Bob, who was no. once a special guest in this podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that was also the same day that another friend of ours... Uh, we, it was, uh, the occasion was Winger War, a local BBS gathering and, um, a water balloon was wung toward us from about a hundred yards away, hit me right in the right specific organ. In the phallological region. In the phallological region. Yeah. The thing is, I, I barely felt it cause it, it, it like exploded on impact. So it was all, it was basically just. Just like water, and that's it. But still, it wasn't the the least embarrassing thing that ever happened Sean to me. Sean goes nuts for water balloons. Oof. <laughs> Kill myself. Ooh, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be going to Hollywood in a few days and oh? San Diego. So I got oh, my your own travels. Annual San Diego trip. It's turning out to be. Yeah, I've always wanted to go out there. Like, I wanted to I want to visit SeaWorld and Legoland and. Some of the other stuff down there. Where we stay is like half a mile away from SeaWorld. But uh, oh, nice. yeah, ever since that documentary came out, we're like, yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but... They're kind of getting away from a lot of the wildlife or the, the sea uh, the sea shows. They still have them, but they're now focusing more on water or not waters, uh, like roller coasters and stuff because they're because of the backlash from the sea shows. Yeah. So and I hear they got some great water, uh, roller coasters out there. Oh, speaking of moron, um. Can we do a Sean's Drinking Arena tonight, today, this Why, morning? Why, yes, we can. 
Cool. In fact, we heard from somebody who says, uh, I, I miss those. So Well, here you go. Well, I'm technically doing a drinking arena with this oh, that's true. Icelandic, yeah. uh, Icelandic white ale. I got another one downstairs. I can't remember what one it is. That one's in a blue can, but this isn't a white can. Well, hey, save yeah. it for uh, episode 132, which will come out any time between now and probably February. And if uh, I don't have any, I know where I can buy it. So let's do the drinking arena. Open the door. Yes, indeed. Uh, the drinking arena, which technically was your thing. I just stole it. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, this is something I found at my usual place that I go to to find things. Um, it's called Gross Gus's Pimple Pop. Oh, God. And there's a picture of somebody... Popping a pimple? Popping a pimple, and it looks very, pimple very, popper. like, not real. It looks very superimposed and everything, which sounds like it might be disgusting, but then just minutes ago, I noticed on the side of the bottle, marshmallow soda. Ooh, so this that sounds good. Yeah, but if it is, it defeats the whole purpose of trying a weird, yeah, unconventional. But yeah, I'm pouring it now into uh, my pint glass that I got from Junior's in uh, New York. The only, well, one of three places that I've ever been to in New York where I actually had decent food. Hard Rock Cafe was another, by the way. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, New York is, I don't care what anybody says, the food sucks in New York. I had some good pizza there. It's not as good as Chicago, but I still had some good pizza. I mean, there. well, I mean, not j not just the. F I mean, I'm talking about you go to a restaurant. It's probably gonna suck. Like, okay, I, I, I enjoyed a Nathan's hot dog a couple of times, and I got a good sandwich from the Hello Deli. But anyway, this is uh, Gross Gus's Pimple Pop. It looks very fizzy. I kind of dig that. Hmm. Right, yeah, I can kind of taste the marshmallowiness to it, but there's a certain flavor to it that seems familiar. Like I had this in a previous drinking arena drink. Hmm. I don't think it's from the Rocket Fizz people. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. Not bad at all. It's not overly sweet. Mm -hmm. And I do believe it's standard cane sugar. I don't think... Yeah, it is not uh, high fructose corn syrup. But it's not bad. Not bad. Oh, it tastes good. a little bit cotton candy-ish, but not as sweet. Uh-huh. It's slightly sweeter than the drinks at Ikea, but not as sweet as your standard, say, Coca-Cola. But yeah, Gross Gus's Pimple Pop, not gross at all. Not gross at all. So, there you have it. Any questions? Yes. How do you make babies? I do not. That's how. Oh. Well, that's good to know. Unless I get a letter from somebody. <laughs> So, do we have any addenda in a rotter? Rada? Rotter? Oh, goodness. I don't... Dude, it's been so long. I don't know. Let's just assume that we did not make any mistakes in the previous episode, nor have any previous mistakes been caught, because we're that good, that we've already covered our butts for that. Oh, yeah. But we do have uh, some uh, feedback, if you want to, perhaps... Well... I was looking at the feedback, uh -oh. and uh, he predicts the theme for today's episode, so let's hold off on it. Oh, okay. Well, let's remember to uh, come back to that. In fact, I didn't put the uh, theme in the spreadsheet. Okay. There we go. Mm -hmm. All right. So, shall we just dive on in? Dive right in. Dive. So, which one do we want to talk about first? Well, I'd say let's start with Wacko. Wacko. Okay, Wacko is... Uh, 1982 game from Bally Midway, and it has it obviously uses the same audio visual hardware that all the other Bally Midway games at the time uses. So, <clears throat> you pilot Captain Cruiser in his cruiser on an alien landscape. To control him, you use a trackball, but to fire, you use a joystick. It's kind of like Robotron. Oh boy. This week in Robotron. Okay. Kind of like Robotron, except you, you move with a trackball. And what the plot, plot object mechanics, I don't know, object of the game is, there are aliens on this planet. And what you have to do is uh, shoot them in pairs. So if there's like two like dragons, you have to shoot the two dragons and then they disappear. Or do they? <gasps> so after you shoot one, it kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like, vibrates shakes whatever a little bit until it you jiggles. get the other one it jiggles and uh if you don't shoot the other one in time it stops jiggling and you have to shoot it again now that's on the first round huh. 
in the first round, if you shoot, like, say, one alien, and then you shoot an alien of, the different, of a different kind, it'll just cancel each other out. You'll have to shoot the pair again. Uh, in later levels, though, if you shoot a mismatched pair, they swap bodies, and then you have to shoot them again to unmix them. Or... Uh, in later levels, or... What's the other thing you can do with those uh, mixed mutants, as it were? I don't know. Create a matching set. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that's the, true. you actually the, get extra top, points for that. That's true. That's uh, only if there's, like, say, four of a specific, yeah. any specific alien type on the landscape. Now, in later boards, what will happen is if you shoot a matched pair, a little tiny baby of those monsters will come out, and you cannot shoot those until you have matched all the other monsters. And then you can shoot all the baby monsters. You don't have to pair them up. In later levels, after you shoot the baby monsters, then they turn into eggs, and you have to shoot the eggs. And in later levels, even later, you shoot the eggs, and they turn into bats, and you have to shoot all the bats. So sometimes there's like three to four like different transformations of the enemies. Yeah, so you got to watch out for... Snakes? Watch out for snakes. I fell right into that one. Yeah, so you got to pay attention to what you're doing there. Now, here's your scoring. Where? Right here. Oh, okay. All right. If you shoot a matched pair, you get 300 points for each pair. Mutant pairs, you get 500 points for each pair. Babies, the little baby ones, you get 150 points for each. Eggs, you get 500 points each. And the bat, or sometimes called demons, and I'm getting this right out of the technical manual, 750 points each. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, in some levels, uh, some of the larger monsters can start as mutants. You don't... Uh, yep, yep. You, you don't, uh, you know, accidentally... Yeah. Fight. You know what I'm saying. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy. So, now, first of all, I really like this game a lot. But there's one interesting thing about this game that uh, people notice, other than the trackball to move and joystick to fire mechanism on it. This game, the marquee and the control board are on an angle because they're like they're purposely askew because well the game is called wacko after all and um that's pretty wacko isn't it that's pretty wacko and uh (laughs) it's it's actually a very striking cabinet because of that you can't miss this game in an arcade just like you can't miss like tapper you can't miss this one and um that's always uh kind of neat something i found out there's also a game in the arcade called cosmic cruiser which also features Captain Cruiser. Cosmic Cruiser is actually the first game in the series. Really? I thought it was the sequel. No, it's the first game in the series. We talked about that game, didn't we? Uh, Not yet. Oh, okay. I don't think so. We might have. I don't know. I don't think we have. So, uh, yeah, so it's like the cabinet. uh, It's like one side is like three inches lower than the other side, and it's like... There you go. Now, there is a... uh, an Easter egg at, in the game at the title screen. If you hold the player one start and the player two start and wait for a little bit, a hidden credit screen will depl- display. Hmm. Unfortunately, there are no sequels to this game and unfortunately there are no home ports, but apparently, and I've been looking, I've been trying to find out about this, but I haven't actually had any success in finding anything. Uh, but apparently there is a clone for the TRS 80 Coco color computer in 1987 called weirdo. Uh. And I have not been able to find any information about that. So, oh, I think I know why. Oh, do tell. I was looking for uh, TRS-80, not color computer. But nope, I can't find anything for it. So if anybody happens to know anything about that game, let us know. I'm kind of curious to see what it, uh, how it plays. Hmm. So that, in a nutshell, is how you play in little trivia bits about Wacko. Trivia bits. As I said before, I really like this game a lot. First of all, Captain Cruiser is cute. He's a he's cutie. Oh, yeah. And um, you, you can't go wrong with a cute protagonist in your game. And the monsters are goofy looking. Uh, I always kind of like that. There's like one yellow uh, like lizard with like three heads, three, four heads. That one's kind of neat. Yeah, there's almost something Warner Brothers-ish about yeah. the monsters and the, yeah. the, the animation and everything. Now, since this is a Bailey Midway game, I was kind of curious if Brian Colin uh, worked on it, but I can't find yet any hint that he actually did, because it kind of has his signature on yeah, the game. Yeah, it kind of does. I want to say he did not. Uh, I don't think he did. I can always find out about that, but 
it's almost like the kind of game he would have designed. Yeah, I, I totally get you. I was, yeah, I think Zwackery was one of his first in Spy Hunter 2, I think. Zwackery was, I think it's one of his last games. Um, that game is... Oh, really? I, that game is exceedingly difficult, mainly because of the control scheme. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, good luck emulating that thing. Oh, God. These other games are are hard enough, which, oh, speaking of which... During our hiatus, I uh, got a hold of an Atari CX-22 trackball. That's the one with the joystick trackball switch. And I finally purchased a 2600 Daptor D9, which is the one that uh, pretty much allows you to use any controller that has a DB9 uh, port on it on on your PC through uh, use of, uh, you know, USB. So, yeah, I uh, actually have two CX-22s, and the reason I have two is because the first one that I got does not have the joystick trackball switch on it. Uh-huh. It's weird. It has a, the label for it, and it has a little cutout for it, but there's no switch. There never was one. There huh. was no switch. This it one must has have the been switch. Like, yeah, the, yeah, and the, my other one does have the switch. That's why I got the other one. It's, it's weird. It, it must be like a really, really super early version of it. Uh-huh. One thing I have to say is I bought it uh, as untested on eBay. Yeah. I've been really lucky buying untested stuff on eBay. Every time I've done this, it's always worked. So I've been pretty good with that. Hey, I bought a uh, Sears Heavy Sixer that was said for parts only does not work. Mm-hmm. I put a new power supply in it, fired right up. There you go. So yeah, so I've I've been lucky with that too. So, so yeah, I have a perfectly working, clean Sears Video Arcade 6 so, Switcher Heavy. Ooh. So I highly it. recommend everybody buy this uh, 2600 Daptor D9. I ordered one. You ordered one? I ordered one. Did you order one? I ordered one. Nice. I, it didn't take too long to get mine. I was actually kind of impressed. Oh, I also ordered a FujiNet for my uh, 8-bit computer, and uh, it hasn't shipped out yet. I only ordered it last week, so. Now, what's the, th- the deal with that thing? It, I've it, heard of it. I just it adds, uh, like, Wi-Fi networking capabilities to it, and uh, it has a thing where you can you can use it also as a printer. Like, anything you print out on the 8-bit computer... We'll save it to a PDF format, and then you can beam it over to whatever other Wi-Fi uh, devices you have in your house and print it from there. Oh, and it's also got a, a, a SD card slot, and um, it's got a whole lot of features. And um, they just uh, re- I think they just released a version of it for the Coleco Atom, if you can believe that. Out of all the computers <laughs> they chose for their second one, it was that one. So, And I've actually seen that in operation at Vintage Computer Fest Midwest, and that was kind of neat to see on the... Venerable Adam, which I still say to this day is a vastly underrated uh, 8-bit computer, but that's ah. just me. Anyway, so um, I guess I really like this game. The visuals are cute. Uh, I like the sound effect it makes when uh, Captain Cruiser uh, hits an alien, and his spaceship like tears apart, and he goes and he lands on the ground, and he kind of like does like the crying thing that the that the characters did in the uh, in the game Journey Escape. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it feels a lot like those other Bally games, too. Yes. It, Except you can actually move in eight directions. <laughs> technically more than eight, because of the trackball. Oh, and the reason I brought up the trackball thing and the uh, D9 uh, adapter is that I was able to emulate this in MAME. Uh, just hit the set the trackball on my lap and use the arrow keys on my keyboard to fire. And then uh, yeah. once I got the uh, sensitivity of the analog uh, settings in MAME uh, squared away, actually got pretty good at it. I also <laughs> was also playing Crystal Castles and Centipede and some other trackball games with it. And uh, wow, I don't know how I played those games any other way. <laughs> it's it, it really does make a difference. Yeah, I was using just the trackpad on my laptop and it worked yeah. okay. And uh, sure I, that... do, I do have a USB trackball that I that would use. Uh, I, I actually used at work back uh, when I, I, went, I had an office to go to. And now we're just working from home. Uh-huh. And uh, it works great on everything except Centipede for some... Centipede is hard to emulate a trackball on. It didn't do too badly with the with the one I got. Works great with Millipede, though. Hmm. Yeah, I bet you probably need to tweak your analog There might be some tweakages. I, there might be. Yeah. So. The, the great thing about this game is that there's, there's really not a lot to it. It's just a really simple concept. And uh, it's kind of a puzzle game in a way. You know, you, know, you just got to match things, really. That's all it is. Yeah. It's a matching game. 
And uh, I think they did really well with this one. I think so, too. Now, I seem to remember years ago, I think it was on Atari Age, there was some discussion about it and how it wasn't really a popular game. People didn't like it, apparently. Huh. Uh, I remember when it was in the arcades. I never actually played it in an arcade well, until Galloping Ghost got it. But I saw it on Starcade a lot, and I thought, man, that's a cool-looking game. I like the gameplay on it, and I still do. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently, judging from the posts I saw on Atari Age years ago, people didn't like it. And someone oh. actually said that one time when it was the grand prize on Starcade, the kid who won it said, I guess I could sell it or something. No. And oh, I've, that sucks. I would have taken it. Oh, I would have easily taken it. And I, I, what I want to do is I want to see if that episode is out anywhere and uh, I can see if that actually did happen or if someone was just Mandela affecting it or something. I would have taken any arcade game they threw at me, even if it's yeah, a one right. I didn't, didn't like, because even if it was Professor Pac-Man. Oh, that I oh I, that I would have thrown the game completely just so I no, I would, it would. It's still nice to have a cabinet. It's just, uh, you know, you can do other things with it. Well, they didn't have emulation back there, but you could if it was uh, you could put a whole new different game inside it. Hell, it has the Wizard of War hardware. You could put Wizard of War on it. Yeah, right. So yeah, if somebody gave me a Professor Pac-Man, I'd quickly uh, do some like explosion experiments on it. As we said in that episode, I don't really hate the game, but I still rated it at a one because it was pretty pointless. So, Sean, what's uh, how would you rate this game? What what do you what what do you say about a game such as this? Well, again, I really enjoy it. I like Wacko. I like the graphics. I like the animation. I like the reactions and everything. The control scheme is unique. Uh, it's a little bit weird playing it on a slanted surface, but... A little bit. It's really a clever game. I, I can't I can't rate it any lower on our continue scale of 1 to 5 continues inclusive. I cannot rate it any lower than a 4. So you four got a continues. 4. Yeah. I rate this one as a 5. Ooh, wow. This is one, if I see it, I will play it. Uh-huh. If we had done our uh, 10 favorite games episode now, this would make it in my top five. Wow. This is a fun game. I always have a blast with this one. It's cute. It's challenging. The early stages are deceptively simple. Well, maybe not deceptively simple, but I mean, they get progressively harder until the point where it's like you have literally almost no room to move. So you got to like think yeah. fast and have a That's delicate touch on hard. the trackball. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is, I love this game. I, this is one I would definitely pick up if I had a home arcade. So do we have high scores for this one? Uh, sure. Yeah. We're talking uh, Wacko, right? Oh, yeah. Wacko. Um, let's see. Twin Galaxies shows Steve Harris as their highest scorer. Hi, Steve. With uh, 1,608,100. And uh, that was performed uh, March 31st, 1983. Whilst Arcade.com, A U R C A D E.com, has their highest score as 256,150, as performed August 28th, 2017 by Mozzie Sagopian. Yay. So well done, Mozzie. You still have well a ways to go before the Twin Galaxies guy. <laughs> okay, I, I, I know Mozzie, so I don't want to give him a hard time, but still, that's way better than I'll ever be. So, so should we uh, move on to our next game? Well, we should after we hear from our underwriter for this episode. Girls and boys, come and see the greatest toy store in history. Dispenses Castle of Toys. It's a castle. Dispenses Castle of Toys. It's a toy store. Dispenses Castle of Toys. It's tremendous. Come to Dispenses Castle of Toys. Oak Brook Terrace, Illinois. Dispenses Castle of Toys is a quarter mile north of Oak Brook Center, Route 83 in Roosevelt Road. Thank you, Dispenza, for that underwritation. Right, kingdom. Eh. Let's go. Or, something. or was it Castle of Toy? I don't remember. We just played. I don't it remember too. ever seeing their commercials ever. I just oh, remember. God, I remember it as a kid. And the one time my dad took us to, he took us to the Castle of Toys a few times, but he only let us ride the rides at Kitty Kingdom like once or twice. And uh, oh gosh, that was so awesome! Every ride a quarter, six for a dollar. <laughs> I remember oh, going past Kitty Kingdom on the way to my uncle's house. Yeah, unfortunately, Kit, the Castle of Toys is long gone, but uh, over in Oakbrook Terrace, right just slightly north of the uh, Oakbrook Shopping Center, the uh, the street that goes right by the 
gleaming office tower that went up in its place is called Dispenses, Dispenses Road or something ah, like that. Dispenses and Street. Fun fact, that tower is the tallest building in the state outside of Chicago. Yeah, I think you were mentioning that, yes. You mentioned but, that to me at least. Yeah. Sorry. So should we move on to Snake Pit? Let's move on to Snake Pit. Uh, a game on. in which you absolutely have to... Watch out for snakes. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, this was... And you got to uh, watch out for lots of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. And uh, it, the game came out in 1984, released by Ballycente, although the copyright notice on the control panel says 1983, Sente Technologies, Inc., but uh, what we know about Snake Pit is that it was programmed by Lee Actor, and he also worked on, among other things, the arcade game's Stalker, which I would like to talk about in a future episode sometimes. Okay. Sometime. <laughs> just one just one sometime, not multiple sometimes. <laughs> uh, he also did Hat Trick and the Sega Genesis versions of Road Blasters and Hard Driving. So it looks like he was into uh, driving games at some point. Like, that was his uh, thing. Uh, the mm -hmm. graphics were designed by Mark McPhee, who uh, did many Ballycente games, including Trivial Pursuit, which we talked about in episode 70, and also who worked on Trivial Pursuit, Gary Levenberg, who was the sound designer for Snake Pit. And he worked oh. on several other Ballycente titles, such as Stalker and Snacks and Jackson. Ever play that one, Snacks and Jackson? I've tried to. Uh, I think they have it at Galloping Ghost. And I was having a hard time a grasping, grasping the concept of it. I do know that uh, it was either 10 pence or no quarter. It might have been no quarter. It was no quarter. It was no quarter. They talked about the game. And it's basically, if you know how to play jacks in yes. real life, you can actually be successful at that game. I yeah. tried that, but I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, that is a weird-ass game. But anywho, going back to Snake Pit, I want to talk about the control panel. Uh, there's a red ball-top four-way joystick on the left, but the thing is, on the panel itself, around the joystick, there's a compass rose, and it implies that the joystick is an eight-way. But as far as I can tell, it only goes four ways, but that joystick controls a whip. A whip? A whip. Would it be a miracle whip? Uh, it can probably work miracles, but it is pretty cool, so it is a cool, a cool whip. Cool whip. Yes. Whip. Yes. Yes. On the right side, you have a white trackball labeled Jack, in quotes. Jack. And what? Yeah, I will get oh, to that, that in a moment. that must be the character's moment. name. Oh, <laughs> is it ever? In the middle and a little bit down, there is a red Aleron button. A-L-A-R-O-N. And there's a trademark next to it, so apparently Aleron was a trademarked term. And, of course, you have your one-player, two-player start buttons as well. Now, as for the gameplay, there are instructions on the control panel, and I will read you those instructions right now. Insert coin and select one or two-player trademark. I don't know why they put a trademark symbol there. <laughs> Did Ballycente trademark the word player or something? I don't know. I don't know. Now, here's where we know the name of the character. Um, instruction number two is use trackball to move, quote, Outback Jack, end of quote, and avoid creatures and traps. Number three, use joystick to control whip. If it moves, whip it, bang, bang, bang. Four, claim treasure in innermost chamber for big bonus, then get out alive, bang, dot, dot, dot. Number five, press flashing button to use amulet. So there you go. That's how you play the game. Simple, good. Uh, how do you rate this game, Jimmy G? Wow, that was fast. Oh, actually, I do have more I can say. If, uh, well, why don't you say more? Okay, the game is a pretty simple object. You move your character Outback Jack around the screen. You have Outback Jack whip all the snakes, and the level, or rack, as Bally likes to call it, is over when you clear the entire pit of snakes. Oh, I forgot to mention with uh, Wacko, the operator manual does call each level a rack. Yeah. Because so that, Wacko that's has the nice racks. They have, they have racks. They, they have lots of racks, yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but Snake Pit has 28 racks in total. But basically, yeah, that instruction, instruction number three, it says if it moves, whip it. Yeah, if basically there's anything moving on the screen, wait, attack it a, with a whip. Wait, did a problem yeah, yeah, come yeah, along? Yeah, 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 Devo, blah, blah, blah. 
Did the cream sit out too long? Starting with the fourth rack, you will encounter at least one spider for most of the remaining racks. My advice, ladies and gentlemen, is to kill that spider right away. Eventually, you're going to have multiple spiders. Those things are a they're annoying because the thing is, if you move too far away from a spider, it's going to jump and attack you. It's basically hard to manage a spider that's jumping. It really mm -hmm. is. Just yeah. do what you can get. Avoid it and whip the thing, but don't go too far away from it. Basically, you know, as I want to do on this podcast, I will play a game with cheats in MAME turned on before I give it a proper run through. Yeah. Just so I can learn all about the game that I can. There are later levels that actually have bottomless pits. Yes. You can actually trick the spiders into jumping into the pits and disappearing. Yeah, the problem is they'll come back out from the side of the screen, though, a couple oh, of seconds later. They? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, that's only a temporary way. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good way to avoid the spider, but it's just going to come right back. Snakes won't go in the bottomless pit, but if you maneuver yourself carefully, you can use the bottomless pit to keep snakes away from you. And uh, what I like to do when that happens is I bunch a lot of snakes together and kind of sneak my way outside of the perimeter of the pit just uh -huh. to lure one snake at a time over and then kill that snake. And uh, some other things that you'll have to deal with from time to time, invisible snake pits. Mm -hmm. That Those things are pretty tricky. Uh, you will know where the snakes are because you'll still be able to see their eyes. And it's especially tricky in later levels when you also have spiders in the invisible snake pits. And there's something else. There's another obstacle that'll eventually come up in a snake pit. And I don't know what the official terms for these things are, but they're little thingies on the ground. And if you run over them, there'll be some kind of projectile, like a oh, throwing like a, star or something. Like, uh... Like a trap sort of thing. It, no, it's not so much a trap as it is just sort of like a trigger for... A trigger. It's a trigger. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah it's a trigger, a trigger that'll, for that, a trap. that'll throw something at you from... Right. Uh, that comes at you from both the bottom of the screen and the left side of the screen, I believe. Yeah. You gotta step out of the way or else you're dead. And periodically, you will enter a rack in which there are scorpions or big scorpions with little flashing red dots on them. What you got to do is kill the scorpions by whipping the red dots. And then when that happens, the scorpion will break up into three baby scorpions. So you want to get rid of those baby scorpions too. And in later racks, not only are you going to have the scorpions, but you're also going to have the spiders, which, oh, I hate the spiders. I really hate the spiders. The spiders have their moments, I guess. I don't know. But um, that's it. That's really what you do. Uh, there's one other thing that Alaron button I was talking about. There's one case in which you can use that thing. I think it's rack number 14, in which there's a treasure chest. You're in a room with a treasure chest. Basically, your whole purpose is to get that treasure chest. Right. It's going to kind of bounce around the screen, and you have to whip that thing. And mm -hmm. while you are trying to whip that treasure chest... They're lightning zaps that attack you. You got to step out of their way. And they're accurate. They are very accurate, yeah. So, yeah, it's, you, you got to keep moving around. If you're lucky, you'll hit that treasure chest the very first thing that, that the rack begins. But when you hit that treasure chest, it'll open up and it'll award you an amulet. And the purpose of the amulet is to give you temporary invincibility, which you activate by pressing the Alaron button. It'll be a red... By, at that point, the button will be blinking. And when that button is blinking, that means that that Alaron button is pushable and you can have invincibility. Now, the things that the invincibility will not protect you from include the bottomless pit, if you're in a level with a bottomless pit, mm -hmm. which I think you will be at that point. And it will also not protect you from those projectiles that mm -hmm. uh, shoot out of the walls if you step in the wrong place. Now, I have to say, I hate the, the thing with the Aileron. First of all, there are only a total of 28 levels in this game. After 28, yeah. game over. I don't know if that was in your notes, but yeah, it's game over at that point. And I think you get a 10,000 point bonus for each life you have left over. 10,000 for each life you have left and 100,000 for getting out. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't like that you have you only have access to this Aileron thing halfway through the game. I guess it's maybe a minor issue, but um, 
it kind of turned me off a little bit. But there's a bigger issue. That's just a minor issue with, with that. I have a bigger issue with this game. And what is that issue, Jimmy G? You have to be dead accurate with that whip. You can't just barely miss the uh, the head of the snake. You have to be accurate where you whip. And that gets frustrating. I found that you can hit any part of the snake with the whip and it'll disappear. I, I haven't found that. I've had them hmm. hit the head. And uh, whip the head of the snake, now that you mention it. <laughs> hit the head. Oh, <laughs> I did not mean that, by the way. Oh, by the way... Are we ready to do first place we've played this? Well, not really, because I haven't played this anywhere. I actually oh. went to Galloping Ghost just for the point of playing the games that we're talking about. Uh-huh. And uh, both of them were not in service. Oh, jeez. It's like, mother What are the God. chances? I know, I know. But a couple other things I did want to mention, though, about the game. First of all, you can whip and kill multiple enemies at once with just one This I have flick. noticed, and this I have done. Yeah, and you don't get any bonus points for it. You just get the proper points. And speaking right. of points, the snakes come in four different varieties. There are purple snakes, pink snakes, orange snakes, and blue snakes. Yellow stars, blue diamonds, And the clovers. difference among those colors is simply the speed that the snakes move. And they can mm -hmm. change colors. And they usually do change colors. The fewer the snakes that are on the screen, the more likely they're going to be those faster colors. You get 25 points for each purple snake you kill, 50 for each pink, 100 for each orange, or as we say in Chicago sometimes, orange, and orange. 400 for the blue ones. Uh, the spiders, or spikers as my notes say here, spiders, you get 500 points for killing those things. The full-size scorpions, 1,000 points. Baby scorpions, 500 each. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. We didn't uh, say where the first place we ever played Wacko was. Well, for me, yeah, I, I definitely said, said my piece in that uh, even though I remember Wacko very well from when it was a current thing, I uh -huh. didn't actually play it back then, but I have played it at Galloping Ghost. Just okay. not recently because it wasn't working. Well, the first place I played Wacko, I'm pretty sure it was the arcade at uh, Marriott's Great America. Uh-huh. It was still Marriott. Okay, so it was still it was Marriott's st when still, Wacko was I think was it was 84 when Six Flags bought him. Okay. As for Snake Pit, first place I ever played this was the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Ball in Joliet. Ah. A beautiful Joliet, Illinois. You know, I do want to say that I... Part of me wants to say that I did play it at Galloping Ghost at some point. Mm -hmm. At some point in the past, what, 10 or 11 years it's been open, but I, I really can't say for sure. It has a unique cabinet, just like Wacko does. Because it's not just your standard upright cabinet. It's kind of, it's hard to describe. It's white. Well, it's, it's, a, st it's a standard Sente cabinet. Because, um, and actually, going back to the Ted Dabney Experience podcast, they talked to somebody from Sente. And uh, their whole deal was to create one cabinet that just stayed in place and you just swap games out all the time. And hmm. uh, <laughs> one of the problems they had with the cabinets is they were heavier than the normal arcade machine. So if you wanted to move them, you know, good luck with that. But uh, so like Trivial Pursuit, uh, this game, name that tune, mini golf, stalker, all that, whatever, were all the same cabinet. You just uh, pop in a different cartridge huh. in the machine, a new uh, control panel and a new uh, marquee. I'll have to check that out, especially like because I know that uh, Galloping Ghost, they have stock. Well, and uh, the Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade both have stalker. I think I Retrocade think has I've had it for a longer stalker. time. That's a fun game. The music will stick in your head forever, though. <laughs> I need to play the mini golf one. I, th I know. Actually, I know I've played it back in the day, but uh, oh, <laughs> funny note. Yesterday, oh, my, my daughter uh, used the phrase back in the Ferg. <laughs> Man, that, 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 is, that, that phrase hasn't been a thing for a long time. No, hasn't it? It Ever since Ferg declared it that it's the, allowed. Yeah, she used it out of the blue, and I just had to laugh because we haven't heard it in a while. Oh, yeah. Something else I forgot to mention about Snake Pit. You can actually start at uh, a different rack oh yes you can i did notice that you have to you select it with uh the uh, the uh the joystick i believe and then you hit the aileron button yeah to yeah. select the level yes yeah i what i like to do actually is start with the hardest one mm -hmm. because if you get past either the first or second rack on the hardest level you will score a buttload of bonus points and get a crap ton of extra lives so you'll be loaded up pretty pretty well for dealing with the post-Aleron racks, as you it know, were. You know, we should have actually named this podcast a buttload of bonus points. Hmm. I think that's of got a bit points. of a ring to it. Huh. Yes. Or buttload of racks. Buttload of racks. 
nice buttload of wrecks. Yeah. So do we have any high scores for this game? Yeah, but not from me personally. <laughs> yeah, neither me. Yeah. Um, let's see. Steve Wagner has the high score on both Orcade.com and Twin Galaxies. Uh, his Orcade.com record is 549,550, which was submitted to uh, that uh, scoreboard on October 21st, 2011. But his Twin Galaxies score of 377,525 was submitted November 6, 1986. Yeah, me, I can get, for the first time today, actually, I cracked 200,000, but by starting with uh, difficulty uh -huh. five, the hardest starting point. Yeah, I'm, I'm a wimp. I always start with the easy. But when, when I cheated, I got well over 200,000. I just quit because it was time to record. So. Oh, okay. Well, I apologize for that. Yes, and I didn't know I was close to the end of the game. I don't, huh. I don't know if I'd like that this game has a hard end, but I don't know. Well, you know, if it does have a hard end, then it actually is going to knock my uh, rating down because I was going to give this actually five continues. Uh huh. Because I was, I'm really, really digging this game, and of course, because we kept getting canceled and delayed and rescheduled and stuff, I've had three months to play this, and I've really gotten hooked on it. Yeah. How and, did you? Uh, how how did you emulate it? It, it was very it, very simple. I just used the trackpad. I, oh, I, I, that's I didn't, right. Yeah, trackpad, that's and right. I used, uh, uh, let's see, uh, E, S, D, and F for uh -huh. the uh, whip. Or was it R? Yeah, E, e S, D, and F. Well, and, and, uh, whip. and the control key for the Aileron thing, and it worked, worked like a charm. But I really would like to play it on an actual cabinet. Now, the thing is, uh, how would you rank? Uh, how would you rate? Okay. I for, Again, I first played this at the Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall. I had been excited for this game when I first heard about it because it was like the first major game to come out. It might not have been the first game, but the first major game to come out of Valley Sente. Yeah. And uh, when I heard that um, Nolan Bushnell was like the head of the company, I'm like, well, yeah. this has got to be a great game. And then I played it and I'm like, eh, what's the big deal? I would play it off and on in emulation over the years. And I just played it again today, earlier, uh, with my trackball and the arrow keys on the, uh, the keyboard. And I was really starting to dig it. Had I just gone off my previous experiences, I would have rated this a one. The thing that wow. keeps me from rating this a four is how you have to be dead accurate on to hit the hit the snakes. And so I cannot rate it any higher than a three. If they gave you a little bit more and the thing that pisses me off is the eyes of the snake can hit you anywhere and you die. Whereas uh you can only whip the snakes, at least as far as I've found in the head to kill it. And um, that I thought was a little unfair. Given the perspective of it, I think the uh, the snakes should be able to go behind the uh, the person and maybe just only kill you if it hits you on the boots. Oh, I see what you mean. It actually acts as if, like, your head is on the ground. Yes, yeah, like so it acts like your flat. head's on okay. the ground instead of in the air. And huh. because of that, I'm ranking it down to a three. It's still up from a one. Sure, sure. That's that's still you know it's not not bad rate. I'll play this every now and then again uh, going forward, especially again since I got the trackball working on my PC. Uh, but yeah, it's just short of being a, a go-to. Oh, and something I forgot to mention that might help some people who might not have noticed this before: oh. the whip control. It will repeat whipping as long as you have it held down. It's like oh, an, well, it's yeah, like it a does, rapid fire. It? Yeah. yeah, you it you don't have to keep repeatedly moving the joystick to the left and whip to the left. You just hold it there; it'll keep whipping. The musical selections are pretty recognizable because you have in the hall yes. the Mountain King. I think that's by is that by Greek? Well, you know what? I have a device here where I can look up just about any information I want. Yeah, Flight of the Valkyrie. Kill the wabbit. Kill, kill the wabbit. <laughs> Classic Bugs Bunny. Everything I know about opera came from Bugs Bunny. Yep. Well, I. Not entirely true. I did go see the opera with choir in high school, but yeah, Edvard Grieg, I was correct. Uh, let's see what else. The William Tell Overture by Rossini, and yeah, I think those are the big three there that uh, play in the background. It has good music. One thing I love about the Sente uh, machines is the graphics are generally really good, and yeah. the, the graphic hardware and the sound hardware is really good. Yeah, uh, so you, you got to hand it to them for that. It's just overall, even though I like some of their games. A Trivial Pursuit, and I, I like to uh, name that tune. But for that kind of a platform, it's really kind of underwhelming. Hmm. I think Snake Pit came close to exploiting the hardware for all it's worth. 
Uh, but it, I just still don't think it uh, really um, pushed it as hard as it could be. Well, Trivia Pursuit and, and Name That Tune really did not push the hardware in audiovisual. Name That Tune for obvious reason because it needed all the storage for the songs. Well, I'm guessing that this game was probably rushed because it was obviously, uh, there's obviously some Indiana Jones undertones here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what movie came out in 1984 in May? Was that Temple of Doom? It was Temple of Doom, yeah. I can't, couldn't remember if it was that or Last Crusade. So they probably wanted to have an unofficial tie-in. So they're like, hey, we got this Indiana Jones-type character. Let's hurry up and get this thing out. Let's ride their coattails as much as we can. That's my thought, at least. And the thing about... Uh, well, of course, I, I don't know if I made this very clear, but my rating on this is four continues out of five. But something that I noticed about both Wacko and... Snake Pit is that they both have a very similar vibe. I can't quite put my finger on it, but um, I found the transition from Snake Pit over to Wacko to be quite natural, to be quite smooth. And I felt like I was essentially playing the same game somehow, but with different graphics, even though the gameplay is different. I don't know about so much about Snake Pit, but I think Wacko had a bit of a bubbles feel to it. I can kind of see that, too. I don't know what it is, but yeah, that's... Kind of my opinion on that. I mean, by the way, I could, as far as I know, no home versions existed of Snake Pit. And really, how could they because of the control scheme? Because you have the trackball and the joystick thing going on. In fact, I think on. the only home version of a Sente game was um, was Hat Trick. Yeah. And on the 7800. Yeah. Yep. Which is one of the worst games for the console. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That I can totally see why uh, people cannibalized... Uh, hat trick cartridges for the uh, monitor cartridge that uh oh, that one guy was working on in the 7800 mm-hmm. he went to uh big lots and bought out their entire stock at, at, their, at his local big lots store they had a bunch of hat tricks yeah there he bought them all out and converted them to his monitor cartridge oh wow because they were cheap and nobody wanted them hat tricks a game we should probably talk about i don't think i've played it too much but yeah, I definitely haven't played it too much. So should we reveal the theme or should we actually read uh, our uh, email about today's episode? Uh, let's let's uh, check out the email first, actually. F-E-E-D-B-A-C Feedback 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 Okay, I'll go ahead and read this. It's not very long. Dear Sean and Jimmy G, greetings and salutations. This is Plaid Mouse from Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, I was hoping from Wilmington, Illinois, we could have had a beer. Um, I, I've been listening to your show for a while, now, a while now, and I finally decided to send you a message to share on your podcast at your discretion and pleasure. Yes. I'd never heard of Snake Pit nor Wacko, but I'm really glad that I checked them out. The controls for both games are reminiscent of Robotron 2084, cue the this week in Robotron clip. Do we have to do that again since we already had that? No, nah, I don't think so. Okay. I think the controls are the theme of today's show. And yes, the controls are the theme. Arcade games, which you move with a trackball and you fire with a joystick, which I think these are the only two games that do that. I, didn't recall, I don't recall any others that have that scheme. There's got to be at least one more, but I don't know of it. So, um, continuing. I find Wacko a bit easier, but both ramp up the challenge quickly. Oh, yeah, they do. That's an understatement. Uh, please, please feel free to look at the picture of my scores from Snake Pit and share as you see fit. Uh, his highest from Snake Pit is, uh, what does it look like, 8,500, 7,500, 50... Oh, default oh. settings, you get a bonus life every 10,000 points in that game, by the way. Oh, I think that's the same with Wacko. You see, okay, his high scores are 9,500, 7,900, 5,500, and 4,200. So, there's that. Let's go back to the email. Anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the games. You and anyone else is free to reach out to me on Atari Age. Thanks again. Wishing you both and all the listeners all the best. Uh, just oh, like Paul McCartney did on his Greatest Hits album. He wished yeah. us all the best. Very respectfully, Plaid Mouse. P.S. I'm really looking forward to the next Atari 7800 homebrew, homebrew Game by Game podcast episode, too. Oh, which, by the way, there have been, there's been a lot of uh, oh, yeah, released. Yeah, it's scary how much, how much that yeah, scene it, it, is ramping up again. For the longest time, again. there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. tons of them. Uh, but thank you, uh, thank you, Plaid Mouse, for Thanks, your... Thanks, Plaid Mouse. Yes, thank you for your email. And um, if anybody wants to write us, you can, uh, or email us, 
You can send a message to Pie Factory Podcast or just Pie Factory at fab the number four it dot com. Oh yeah. Let's get we, some emails. We have, disc- oh, and- we, we, we have Discord too. Uh, there, it seems that the Discord invite you actually have to use a code that expires every few really? days or so. Oh. But if you want an invite to to that, just let us know. Oh, and uh, we're still planning on doing an Ask Us Anything episode. Yes, yes. Uh, we've gotten we got a, a, a smattering of emails. So let's get some more out there. We can make this a huge hullabaloo. Oh, I was I was hoping it would be more of a shindig. Well, shindig, hullabaloo, either war. Huh, okay. So, and let's, uh, shall we thank some people? Oh, yeah, we absolutely should. Uh, in particular, people that, people whom, pardon me, I use a proper uh, uh, pronoun here, people whom we should thank are Mike Hat and Jay, Lance Andres, Daniel Chavez, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Art Guglielmo, Underground Retrocade, Christian Williams, Timmy Mack, Mark Super, Atari Bites, Richard Valdez, Rory Coleman, Retro Game Club Podcast, Kurt Musgrave, Keith Sheehan, Greg at the uh, SNES Podcast. Ooh, brand new episode just came out I have to listen to. Uh, Kevin Bean, PJ Steele, D. Alex, Richard Grounds, and Nate Lockhart, uh, the uh, latter of which I saw at Midwest Gaming Classic. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, thank you all. Thank all of you. And of course, uh, that these people have been uh, helping us out via Patreon. And uh, if you wish to join that, well, there's information in the closing credits, uh, courtesy of our booth announcer. And of course, thank everybody else for listening. At any rate, with all that, the next episode of Pie Factory Podcast, we're going to be talking about the games uh, Amadar and Locomotion. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get loco here. (laughs) Yes, stay tuned. What will the theme be? Huh? So, um, yeah. Your guess is as good as everybody else's. Yes. Well, there we go. So everybody have a good, good time. And we will talk to you all later. And Sean signing off. Hydrogen. Support your local arcade. Stay fresh cheese bags. Ha! This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Wait, when did Morris get pancakes? We've had pancakes. Huh. Oh, oh I forgot well. to mention, in Iceland... They have their own style of pancakes. It's a consistency is somewhere between a crepe and an, uh, an American pancake. And it we had some almost like Swedish pancakes too. It might be the same because it is a it's a it is a Norse uh, Norse country technically. They're uh, descendants of the Vikings, and um, we had one with uh, strawberry rhubarb uh, jam. Oh gosh, they were so good. So hmm. a lot of nice little coffee shops with baked goods all over the place, and huh. the rye bread and uh, oh, just one place. Cafe Loki has a rye bread ice cream, which is really, really, it's delicious. You wouldn't think it would be delicious, but it's got a nice sweetness to it. Interesting. So, yeah, go to Iceland.